You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. And today, there isn't quite a lot to talk about. The Vikings are still kind of in a holding pattern, waiting for either cap space to, to clear up or waiting on bidding wars with, with other players. Free agency is going at a snail's pace compared to other years. Uh, it seems like the COVID thing is still kind of affecting all that. So we're still just sort of waiting and being bored. But while we're waiting here, I figured we could take a moment to catch our breath and talk about the way that free agency has played out so far and talk about it chronologically, because obviously the way that things happened to the teams in their own internal buildings and stuff... Uh, played out a little differently than the way that we found out about them. We find out about stuff in a different order because we only find out about stuff when reporters find a way to report it or when it's officially announced. And sometimes stuff isn't officially announced until it's already been in the works for six days. So I figure we can use that as kind of a proxy and try to figure out the Vikings intentions. And also, I want to talk to you a little bit more about Patrick Peterson. I had a chance to go watch a little bit of tape, you know, do a little bit more research, and we can really start to unravel what the Vikings plan is with Patrick Peterson and and how they can uh, utilize him. And in terms of, you know, what he still has left in the tank and how useful that is, and how to make it useful. A real quick thing that uh, I haven't been able to get to earlier that I, I guess I should mention right now, Nick Vigil is not officially signed. If you remember, he's that linebacker from the Raiders, a, a Paul Gunther guy that was brought in. He's going to sign for a million dollars. He signed on like last Monday or Tuesday, like really early in the process, but it was a low level signing. It was just kind of like also there. He's going to sign with the Vikings. Um, th- those kind of deals, usually it, they aren't even bidding wars, just somebody following their old DC to try to get another opportunity somewhere. And I think that's the deal with Nick Vigil. But as they wait for more cap space to clear up with the Harrison Smith thing and the Daniel, the Neil Hunter thing, maybe even at some point this offseason, and of course the June 1st deadline with Kyle Rudolph, they're going to get an influx of like $7 million there. So right now they're dealing with $7 million of cap uh, cap burden that they will not have by the time the season starts, but they can't spend it till June. So basically they've just shook hands with Nick Vigil right now, but they haven't actually spent the money, which they can't do until they have it. And that, I guess is nice because whatever that money is, they can spend it on something that's maybe a little more urgent, like going and getting a guard like you don't even have to get Nick Vigil in before the draft if he's already agreed to and you know he's not going to go to other teams so whatever that's a holding pattern thing we'll we'll see when that actually becomes official and if something else happens we'll talk about it but now let's talk about the Vikings free agency they had a week so far of free agency they've signed I think they've made five signings they uh, including Rashad Hill and Chad Beebe and then Dalvin Tomlinson Patrick Peterson and Nick Vigil right so that's what happened in the first week and there's still more to come according to Darren Wolfson Um, I think according to Ben Gessling as well. They're still trying to get an offensive lineman. They're still trying to get a safety. So we'll see what that actually comes in, who that person ends up being, and if they're even worth our time, right? But in the meantime, we can talk about how this first week kind of went down. And now a lot of reporting has kind of come out after the fact. You know, we heard about the Patrick Peterson signing kind of out of nowhere because it came kind of out of nowhere. But then afterwards, we found out about a lot of the things that led up to that moment and, and the phone calls that went there and kind of who called who and all that stuff. And we found out about who else the Vikings were interested in, why they went to Dalvin Tomlinson and instead of an edge rusher and stuff like that. So let's talk about that. So, you know, Monday when the tampering window opens right away, 
the phones ring off the hook, right? And everybody's calling everybody. And the Vikings seem to be going after Trey Hendrickson and Carl Lawson first. They end up getting outbid for both of those players. Uh, seems like it was totally a money thing, too. Nothing weird going on there. So they turn their attention to Dalvin Tomlinson. And that's kind of the first moment that I think is interesting, right? We're going for two premier edge rushers, right? Carl Lawson and Trey Hendrickson were two of the first kind of first wave edge rushers on the market, two of the bigger names. And they miss out on those guys. So instead of going to other edge rushers, they instead go to the premier defensive tackles. And I think Leonard Williams was the biggest defensive tackle on the market, and he never really hit the market because he figured out an extension with New York, right? So then they go to Dalvin Tomlinson, and that's the next thing that they do. And I think that that's interesting because it's not we need an edge rusher versus we need a defensive tackle. It's we need to bolster that front, and we're going to go find the best player that we possibly can, and we're going to try to get somebody there, even though what somebody like Trey Hendrickson offers and what somebody like Dalvin Tomlinson offers are just like polar opposites. Opposites, right? It's like you can't even say that they're there trying to fill the same role. It very much aligns with the Spielman philosophy that he says all the time. That is, I'm just going to get you players that are good and you're going to figure out how to coach them rather than trying to kind of slot in perfect fits here and there for these needs, which is usually how we talk about it. It's how I talk about it for sure uh, when we talk about, you know, pitching free agents and, and who's available for what. And honestly, I think that answers a question I didn't really have, but it's still an interesting window into the way the Vikings view kind of acquiring top talent where no, you don't need specifically a top edge rusher, but if you get a top defensive tackle and then build out from there, you can still get a result that's okay. Now, they prefer to top edge rusher still, right? Because they tried to get two of those before they went to Dalvin Tomlinson. But the fact that they went to Dalvin Tomlinson before edge rusher number three, very interesting to me. So in the meantime, Nick Vigil comes in and nobody cares. Um, and then it seems like from there, they start making a few more moves. Of course, they also had the Anthony Barr restructure that happened with his contract. You know, they wanted to get his cap hit down, but he basically said, I'm not just taking any pay cuts. And then he did take a pay cut, which is still very interesting. I still feel like there's some uh, details left to come out that might come out someday about that. But he ends up taking that pay cut. And that pay cut ends up reducing his cap hit by, I think, like $9 million or $9.5 million. At the time, we thought it was like 2.3. So at this point in time, what the public thinks and what the Vikings know is way divergent. And that is just the tampering period, and they didn't really do anything else on the tampering period. They called around other people, they tried for Shaquille Griffin, they missed out on him, they tried for Joe Thune, they missed out on him, and they lost a bunch of other bidding wars, but that's like how it goes, right? You call 60 people, you sign three of them, because for one reason or another, all the other ones don't end up working out. So that brings us to Wednesday, when the Patrick Peterson stuff started happening, and so we'll talk about that in a second, but first, Built Madness is on and Coconut is blowing out the field. They're having whatever the opposite of the Big Ten is uh, in the, the, the men's tournament. So we have to take one of these coconuts down. We can't just have like an all coconut final four. So it's cookies and cream versus coconut almond. If ever there was a time that coconut wouldn't win, it is now. Head on over to BuiltBar.com or at bar underscore built on Twitter. Defeat the tyranny. That is coconut. And if you want to buy some for yourself, you can enter promo code LOCKEDON15 at BuiltBar.com. That's LOCKEDON15, all one word. You get 15% off of your order. That's at BuiltBar.com. Get more of the sports news you need in less time with the Locked On Today podcast. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Radio.com app or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. So let's talk about Patrick Peterson now because it is Wednesday. 
Rick Spielman's at the Georgia Pro Day because he has to split draft duties during all this time. Colleges are having their pro days and stuff. And his phone rings. It's, apparently, he was like at the airport, right? And his phone rings, and it's Joe Siegel. Now, this is all in a piece that Chad Graff wrote at The Athletic that was very enlightening about how the whole thing came together. I'll link that in the show notes and all the things that I'm like sourcing from for all this information. None of this comes firsthand from me, trust me. Uh, so, uh, Joel Siegel, Patrick Peterson's agent, calls Rick Spielman on Wednesday. And apparently, on his side, uh, Patrick Peterson wanted one of the big deals. He wanted the William. Jackson, Shaquille Griffin, they were making 13, 14 million a year. And Patrick Peterson wanted in on that money, but those fish weren't biting. So at, after the first couple of days, that first wave, the tampering of free agency where all the big money gets thrown around and it seems like, all right, I'm going to be a second wave kind of guy. He goes to his agent and he says, these are the teams that I like. Minnesota's on that list. So Joe Siegel calls Rick Spielman. Rick Spielman says, wow, we're really into Patrick Peterson, but we kind of thought we'd be priced out of this. And if you're calling us, maybe we can get a deal done. So he calls up uh, Rob Brzezinski and says, can you get something done. Here's Patrick Peterson's agent. And in two hours, they have the deal. And that deal is, of course, $8 million with a million-dollar playing dollar, playing time incentive and a million-dollar uh, all-pro incentive. Both of those are considered not likely to be earned, which means that they are tied to something that didn't happen last year. They're tied to some team—the the playing time one. Obviously, the all-pro one didn't happen. The playing time one is—he uh, did hit that playing time. He has to have. He played, like, almost all of the snaps for Arizona. But they're also tied to, like, team categories, quote-unquote, that the team struggled in last year. So it might be— like touchdowns allowed. It might be like making the playoffs or something like that. So the, the team is really confident that they'll hit those numbers this year um, and that that will be an incentive that is eventually earned. But for cap accounting purposes, it doesn't count against the 2021 cap. If they do hit it like the team expects, it'll count against the 2022 cap. Same thing goes for the All-Pro one. So it's an $8 million deal with maybe some extra money next year. And if you want to just kind of zoom out to where we were at at the time, you know, when I was first seeing it, the, the, the prevailing narrative when I first saw it, and I, I did my my initial reaction coverage like a half hour after uh, that news was announced. So that was really my first reaction. What I was kind of seeing was people saying, oh my goodness, the Vikings desperately, you know, there's Rick Spielman and, and Mike Zimmer desperate to save their ailing jobs on the hot seat, getting too aggressive and going out and making a kind of overpay mistake, right? And that sort of insinuates that they were like, oh, no, we're about to lose our jobs. We need to go do something splashy. Hey, Patrick Peterson, he's splashy and kind of forgetting that he's old. They went out and paid him a hundred gajillion dollars. Even the $10 million amount that is that was initially reported, and then it turns out that you know 20% of that is doesn't even count against the cap this year, if it will count at all. Obviously, the difference between $8 million and $10 million, it's only $2, $2 million. That's not going to be the end-all, be-all of everything, right? That's like one Stephen Weatherly. Um, but it's like 20% of the contract, and it's definitely something, especially when you're as tight as the cap as it has been reported that the Vikings are. But at this time, you know, they knew about the bar thing, and we didn't. So at that time, we thought, that the Vikings kind of did, oh, that's it. That's they're done going to be done with free agency because they got Patrick Peterson. Seems kind of strange. They have too many needs. Now they don't have any guards or anything. They still don't have a safety. They're going to let Anthony Harris go in a few days here. And I think a lot of that is still definitely fair uh, in terms of how much they allocated to the cornerback position, which was definitely a need, right? Like they had Mike Hughes, uh, Cameron Dantzler, and Jeff Gladney. They needed another man in that room for sure. If you were okay with that corner room, like you weren't good enough, but it did seem kind of disproportionate until you realize they still have like 
12 million dollars left over right now and they're getting more when Kyle Rudolph goes through and they might get more with Smith and maybe even Hunter so it seems like there's not quite as much opportunity cost as we thought and of course the Vikings knew this the whole time so there was a period where we were very confused until we caught up and that's gonna kind of always be how it goes so the Patrick Peterson signing gets done in two hours he comes in and gets it now the Vikings are kind of stuck but this is where I get a little confused because it was also reported hey Caps tight, Vikings are in a holding pattern, they they aren't signing a bunch of free agents, they let Anthony Harris go, a bunch of guards are getting taken off the market, the center market goes a lot, and I know a lot of you want a center, I don't think the Vikings want a center, I think they're plenty happy with Bradbury right now, despite his pass protection issues, but they were not gonna, never going to go like trade for Rodney Hudson or anything like that, right? They're, they are looking for offensive linemen somewhere, it might be guards, it might be tackle and leave Cleveland at guard, right? And you can have your opinions about what that would be. Well, of course, when that happens, I'll probably have my own opinion too. Um, but we don't really know what it's going to be yet. So it's like really hard for me to like compare and say, well, they've chosen a worse option than this because we don't know what option they chose. And to even take it a step further, and I don't know if I really think this is a very good take or not, but it's at least worth considering that most of the time we talk about these decisions, it's going to be with the benefit of hindsight for how it worked out, you know, two years from now. Of course, I think there's plenty of value to coming up with a take right now while we know as much as the Vikings knew. But right now we know considerably less than the Vikings do because they know a lot more about where their cap is and a lot more about where other negotiations stand. Um, th there might be some kind of hurry to go get this guard or this tackle or, or whatever, but maybe we are the ones waiting on them. Maybe we are waiting on Harrison Smith to go make a really splashy move on the offensive line. I don't know if I would actually love that, but it's definitely an outcome that could happen, which is why I've my whole kind of message this whole time has been to preach patience, right? It's been one week of free agency, not two months of free agency. And really, the next deadline for when your roster needs to be constructed is the draft, right? You want to have somewhat of certainty at, at certain positions for the draft. You don't want to go in being really, really priced into taking one thing, right? And right now the Vikings are like super priced into taking a guard. They're also super priced into taking a safety. So I guess they don't technically, they're not like for the worst possible reasons. I guess they aren't like too restricted, but that's still a situation you probably want to rectify. Right now they've got like Josh Metellus starting and they might have what, like Ezra Cleveland out of position, but they don't have a tackle. So they might even have to move him back. And then you've got what like drew samia and like nobody like it's terrible but i mean i don't know i'll eat my hat if this is the roster that ends up in the draft right and they don't make any more major transactions of you know and by major transactions i mean people who are expected to start before the draft and and i think that's where we're at so here's what i think we can learn from this particular exercise of chronologically right we can learn that the vikings went for edge rushers first and then moved to the defensive tackle to the, the, the major defensive tackle before they went to the second wave edge rushers. I think that's an interesting uh, delineation of priority. I think that's that's telling about kind of what they think about defensive line and kind of who they're trying to get. And that, you know, getting a player that they regard as elite is more important than getting a player that happens to always be an edge rusher and, and that the difference between edge rusher and, and interior pass rusher is smaller to them than the difference between an elite player and a non-elite player. Um, the fact that Patrick Peterson called them and they opportunistically jumped on the idea, but they didn't necessarily seek out somebody like Patrick Peterson. So even though Patrick Peterson's probably a bit of a tendency breaker in terms of their usual free agency strategy, it seems like they were being opportunistic about it and not necessarily 
necessarily throwing those tendencies out. And I think that just kind of in general, the idea that they've negotiated with a lot more people, and honestly, they've looked into more people than you have. They've looked into more people than I have, for sure. Um, they probably had, I mean, there's a whole bunch of guards on the market that I have never heard of because I didn't research them. I didn't happen to cover them on this show. I don't know who they are. If the Vikings get someone that, you know, I'll make sure the show is put together and, and I'll go research that person then. But I think there are probably very few people in the world that have looked into more possible options and more possible permutations than the Vikings or any NFL team themselves have. So the fact that you maybe only think that there's two players you like, well, maybe there's six players that they liked because they looked into more guys with you. Or maybe there aren't. Maybe they are just exactly as snookered as you think because things have taken too long. But I don't know. I think the, the free agency market right now is just sort of moving really slowly. We are in a normal year where we would be by like six hours before the, the league year turns over and we're just at the end of the tampering window with how many players are still out there and how many markets are like relatively untouched. I want to talk to you more about Patrick Peterson, but first I want to talk to you about Grambling. Of course, everybody's bracket is probably destroyed by now, right? With Ohio State and Illinois and the way that like all the three seeds are down, right? There's no way you've got a good bracket going. If you do, send me a screenshot. But if you're looking for a stake that can extend beyond the scope of your broken bracket, head on over to betonline.ag where you've got all the news scores and odds that you need. You can even bet on stuff like the Oscars or reality TV if you want. You can sign up for free on your mobile or your computer, make an account that parts free, and then when you make your first deposit, enter promo code Locked On. they give you a 50% welcome bonus. That means whatever your first deposit is, say it's $1,000, you would get $500 on top of that just for using the promo code Locked On at betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. It's draft season, and on the Locked On NFL Draft podcast, Trevor Sikama and Benjamin Solak are giving you their latest positional rankings and analysis on the 2021 NFL Draft prospects with sometimes team-centric guest mocks coming right around the corner. Follow the Locked On NFL Draft podcast on the Radio.com app or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. So uh, on Tuesday, I wrote an article. It came out about Patrick Peterson and how the Vikings intended to use him. And I think this is really interesting, especially with what we just talked about, because this isn't necessarily plan A anymore. I think plan A might have been to go get an edge rusher, and who knows what the deal was from there, but things kind of moved around, and now they're sort of uh, diving into this um, you know, we talked about Dalvin Tomlinson last week about how he can maybe shore up the middle, and that means you don't have to uh, dedicate safeties to the middle, and you can bring safeties back and move them around and spread out the coverage and be better against the pass because you don't have to worry about getting shredded in the run anymore. The Vikings of 2020 kind of got the worst of both worlds there, right? Where their defensive tackles were awful. They had the worst interior in the league by like a mile with Stefan and, and Jaleel Johnson, uh, and they also had corners they had to protect, so they didn't have the luxury of stacking the box anyways because the corners needed all that help, so they they just kind of had to leave those defensive tackles on an island, and then you get stuff like what Alvin Kamara did on Christmas. So they're trying to kind of fix—they got two problems to fix, right? So they fixed—they they kind of put one player toward each problem so far. But again, the intent of this seems a little bit more opportunistic. You know, they said, okay, Patrick Peterson, really good corner, let's get him in the building, but— are they still right about that? And this is the part where we can totally feel free to disagree and do our own work on Patrick Peterson here. So a big part of evaluation for me is looking at what a player does poorly. And that means ch cherry picking their worst things and just only watching those. And you have to kind of keep in mind that, uh, you know, you're watching their worst moments. So try not to come away with this opinion of like, oh my goodness, this person is terrible. Look at all these problems they had. But more, look at how they lose when they lose. And is that salvageable? 
is that a sustainable thing? Sometimes you'll see them lose and go, oh my goodness, well, they just got totally hung out to dry by their safety. Or, oh, this is a terrible, you know, 51-yard pass that they gave up, but it was like a tipped ball or something weird like that. Or is it genuinely concerning? Like, oh my goodness, their technique was fine. They turned around, they ran with them, and they just got outran. And that did happen to Patrick Peterson a couple of times. DK Metcalf did that a couple of times. Uh, Stefan Diggs got him and Tyler Lockett got him out of the slot really bad. And that's the big thing is that the slot coverage versus the outside coverage for, for Patrick Peterson was a huge split. He didn't go into the slot a lot. I think it was only like 12% of his snaps, but four of his five allowed touchdowns came out of the slot. Uh, the, the Bills got him twice with Cole Beasley and Stefan Diggs, where they did a three-by-one formation. So on one side of the of the field, there's three receivers, and the innermost one was the guy that Patrick Peterson was shadowing. And shadowing in general seems to be a bad idea with Patrick Peterson. You probably can't do that anymore. And that's that doesn't mean all is, is lost, right? That's not the difference between, you know, Xavier Rhodes and, and Cordria Tankersley, where, you know, you used to be able to have Xavier Rhodes shadow guys like you know, the Stefan Diggs of the world or guys like Devontae Adams, and they can just kind of chase those guys around the formation. Um, and then as he got a little older, you stopped asking him to do that, right? And then as he got even older, you had to start protecting him a little bit more and putting him, you know, stop asking him to cover the whole sideline. And we kind of saw that whole gambit run as he kind of got further and further into his own head and started making more and more mistakes. And as Mike Zimmer kind of had to relinquish more and more of his duties to someone else. Um, and then of course, you know, the defense got worse because you didn't have as good of a corner that you could lean on and you had to kind of spread duties among other people and then everybody else's performance gets that much harder. All of that is really unspecific ways of describing what I think the Vikings are going to do here, which is match quarters. Um, and again, I'm not the first person to talk about match quarters. We talked a little bit about match quarters in the mailbag yesterday. Um, but the way that match works, uh, a, a great uh, athletic article that is linked in the zone coverage piece that I'm talking about here. Uh, basically describes it as I have a man until he does something and then I have another man. So it's not based on landmarks on the field. It's not like zone where you're like, okay, I've got everybody who is in this spot from, you know, the hash to the numbers to, you know, and from five yards deep to 10 yards deep. And that's my zone, right? This is more, I have the outermost guy. And that can be really, really helpful. Let's say you're Patrick Peterson and you have those rules, right? And what, like the example that uh, is brought up in that athletic article is a, a cover seven variant where the outside corner who has the number one receiver. So the guy on the X receiver, you know, this is the guy who is like on Devonte Adams has that guy in man coverage. So you and me, and I'm going to cover you, but I have been instructed to play with inside leverage, which, which means I'm going to shade on your inside shoulder. And that means if you have an in-breaking route, I've got a little bit of a head start and I can actually get in your way. And that leverage makes my job a little bit easier. And I think this would be a good uh, idea for Patrick Peterson, because a lot of the worst plays that he gave up were like slants and in-breaking things where he was kind of playing outside leverage and funneling something inside, and either his help wasn't there, or he just like read the play wrong, and he just funneled exactly and, and just kind of didn't contest the play at all. And then, you know, Terry McLaurin has a 21-yard gain that most of it, you know, comes after the catch because he totally wasn't contesting it at all. But it seems like he does a better job when he has the boundary to work with, right? If it's an in-breaking route and you just have to chase that, you have to get in trail position, which he can't really catch up in trail position. Trail position is a, a great tool that cornerbacks will often use. They'll look like they're a step behind on purpose. They'll kind of wait a step behind. They'll wait for the ball to be thrown, and then they accelerate to go break it up or make a play on the ball. Well, he doesn't have that acceleration anymore, so trail technique doesn't work, and therefore in-breaking routes are really good against Patrick Peterson. So give him the sideline and give him a little bit of help with those in-breaking routes by having him line up on the inside. If the route breaks to the outside, therefore kind of punishing that leverage, well, you still have the boundary. By the way, 
another thing in this particular call of uh, match coverage is you tell the safety, and it's a two-high look, so there's one safety that's just responsible for your side of the field. And you have a, a receiver, and there's a slot corner next to you that has a slot receiver. And the safety is told, whichever of those guys goes deeper, you, co- you cover that guy in man coverage. So whoever the deep route is, that's going to be double covered. And whoever the shallow route is, that's going to be single covered. It's either going to be you on the shallow route, or it's going to be the slot corner on the shallow route. Um, either way, you won't have to carry somebody all the way down the sideline probably on your own. And that can really help, especially if you're worried about his speed or whatever. So think about the routes that punish this. If he goes deep, you have safety help. If he goes shallow, well, knowing that you have safety help, you can be a little bit more aggressive and you can actually instruct the corner. If he does go shallow, you know, drive and and try to break on the ball and make a play. If he goes inside, your leverage is set up like that. If he goes outside, you've got the boundary to help. So there isn't really a situation where Patrick Peterson, in this particular coverage call, and there's a whole bunch of coverage calls you could make, but this one seemed like a pretty interesting idea. The whole idea is that there's no point where Patrick Peterson is doing this entirely on his own. There's always some sort of help, either by nature of the field or by nature of the way the other plays are going, that you don't necessarily have to be the do-it-all corner that the Vikings had in Xavier Rhodes in 2017, or that the Cardinals thought they had in Patrick Peterson last year. And that's something that uh, I think Bo talked about, one of Bo or Alex, when I had the guys from Locked On Cards on in the immediate aftermath of signing Patrick Peterson. They kind of said, you know, the Cardinals asked too much of him. They asked him to be Superman. And I think that's this is what they were talking about, that they kind of never really set him up with help. If you have Darrell Revis, you can tell that guy, just cover him. And everything he does is your responsibility and nobody else is going to come to help you and you're not going to be on the sideline because they're not going to line up that close to the boundary because they're going to want more space to work with, right? And they're just going to throw everything in the house on you and you just deal with it. And that's what makes players like Darrell Rivas such all-time greats is that they were kind of tasked with the weight of the world and they put up elite numbers in spite of that and there there's nowhere to go from there that's the that's the best corners can be that's the pinnacle you're not going to get that out of Patrick Peterson but if you give Patrick Peterson say that assignment in in uh man match man quarters that means that Patrick Peterson is more or less responsible for an entire sideline. If that play is four verticals and both your receiver and the slot receiver are going deep, the safety is going to take the, you know, help the slot corner out with the slot receiver, and you've got that guy one-on-one on a go route. And so you still have plenty of responsibility. It just isn't everything. It's only 80% of things. And that's still plenty valuable. I think for $8 million in incentives, I think that's a totally fair deal. And I think that it signals the Vikings don't think that they're getting Revis Island out out of this guy, but they're also not getting, you know, ah, this guy's just going to kind of play rotational cover too because he doesn't have anything left in the tank and we're going to have to bench him by week four. I don't think they expect that either. So I think their intentions signaled by this contract, by the, the contract that they were willing to offer him and the way that this went down are that Patrick Peterson is going to do what he can do and not what he can't do anymore. And we'll see if their expectations for what he can do are still met by Patrick Peterson or if the age clip just takes him over completely or if the PED suspension, which I haven't mentioned this whole episode, if the PED suspension uh, really, you know, now that he's been caught taking, you know, juicing and he can't do that anymore, will he have just never be the same player that he was or whatever? But it's not necessarily about the player that it was. It seems like it's the player that they think he is right now, which is difficult to guess. And if they guess wrong, they still get punished for that. But if they guess right, then it could still work out pretty well. So I'll talk to you all tomorrow. Hopefully we'll have some some news to talk about. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at Luke at Luke Braun NFL. The show's on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. And uh, yeah, talk to you tomorrow. And as always, skull.